TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's the Score North Twin Show. It's time for the Score North Twin Show. Zolgad and Jake Depew, as always, we're trying to do this twice a week now as uh, the Twins in first place in the American League Central. And Jake, no lack of things to talk about. Would you like to start with the craziness of what's probably going to be the most exciting game the Twins play in the regular season from Tuesday? Or do you want to start with the Brewers-Twins, I guess for the Twins, a debacle and the fallouts on Wednesday? It's Jake's choice. You tell me where you want to start. Uh, I like that. I like that. Uh, Let's start with Tuesday because I think that was, like you said, maybe the most uh, exciting, interesting game of the year. Okay. Um, One is I was very excited because I thought into the ninth, I thought I am finally going to get to be at, keep score, and cover a no-no for the first time. Kenta Maeda stuff, I think around the fourth or so, I thought to myself, one, the Brewers' offense is not great, but two, his stuff is great. Um, I never thought in my wildest dreams that we would get through 12 innings of baseball that night, and by the time it was done, the Maeda storyline was still a big deal, but it was sort of an afterthought, too, compared to the zaniness and craziness. Um, this did, I think, solidify again, though, that no matter what Bruce Dar Gratterall does in the long run and how good he might be, this trade, um, this trade probably looks better now than ever because of the struggles of Barrios and o- Odo coming back slowly, and we can get into the Rich Hill start last night. Uh, but Maeda's stuff and his creativity on the mound and array of pitches and all of that looks like a really, really smart play for a team that's supposed to win now. It is an absolute joy to watch him pitch because, you know, it's fun to watch guys who throw 100, but I think it's a lot more fun and interesting to watch a pitcher who really only throws in the low 90s, but his off-speed stuff is just so fantastic. He knows how to sequence pitches, how to attack hitters, and man, when he's on like he was and painting the corners, getting tons of weak contact, eight strikeouts in a row, that was as impressive an outing as I think I've ever seen. I think Rocco said that after the game. It's right up there for me, at least in terms of twin starts, with Johan Santana's 17 uh, strikeout performance in, mm-hmm. I believe, 2007. Seven. August of 2007. Yeah, against Texas. Um, that, was, that was similarly dominant. But I was shocked that they sent him back out there with like 115 pitches for the ninth. That goes so against Rocco's <laughs> philosophy and their philosophy of rest and recover and, and you know, play the long game. I was legitimately stunned by that. Um, maybe it, it, in, in terms of long-term implications, it's actually a good thing that he gave up that hit right away so that he didn't throw another 20 pitches or so. But, yeah, I mean, he's clearly their best starter. He might be the best starter in the American League. And I think unless something drastic happens, he's your game one starter in the playoffs. What a performance. Yeah, yeah and I'm with you. When, when they brought him out to start the ninth, I, I believe through eight he was at uh, 113 pitches. I was absolutely shocked, too. And so, because it has to go so against Rocco's moral fiber of pitching, right? Like, it just violates every Rocco rule. And, and to send him back out, which, by the way, I agreed with and I liked. But, yeah, I think the most relieved person with no fans there in that ballpark throughout the course of that game after um, – Sogard got the hit was probably Rocco himself saying, thank God I can go get him now. Cause I mean, can you imagine if he had gotten up to what would it have taken? 125? So I think, I think if he had walked a guy, 
you know, if he had, if he had, had a long at bat and gone three, two and it was seven or eight pitches and then walked somebody, I think they would have had to go get him because I, yeah, I mean, you can't push it beyond what, oh. 125, 130 at the most. Um, can you so, imagine yeah, Rocco and Rocco, though? Rocco would have been weeping. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. I know, I know. It, it, was, it was a difficult spot for him to be in, but I was, I, sho- I was so shocked. I really was. I mean, you see that throughout baseball now. You know, guys have no hitters through six, seven, eight innings, and they get pulled, and it's not even, you know, a, a big story. I think the fact that Maeda's a veteran uh, played into that. You know, I think if it was even Barrios, um, or somebody like Dobnik, you know, that maybe uh, Baldelli has more of a say in that decision. But I think he probably said, you know what, Kentamayat has been in the league for a number of years. Uh, this might be his only chance at a no-hitter. I'm going to let him have it. Uh, right. But, uh, boy, what a, what a performance. I mean, that was just – he painted a masterpiece. Like, just everything about that start was, was just so great. I, there's nothing I love watching more than pitchers regular velocity, you know, not outstanding velocity, just absolutely carving guys up with their off-speed stuff. And, and uh, like I said, pitch sequencing. It was just, just brilliant, brilliant performance. Exactly. Okay, so we, we've finally got to see the Twins play extras. Your thoughts on the runner on second to start the 10th? I have to say I like it. You know, I hated it at the, at the beginning of the season. I understood why they were doing it. But I've watched, you know, just on MLB TV, watched a number of, of other extra inning games. And it, you know, you switch over to a game, or at least I, I switch over to a game when it goes to extras because you know it's going to end soon. It adds a lot of excitement. I get that purists hate it. Um, but I thought the 10th, 11th, and 12th innings were just as exciting in a lot of ways as, you know, the first eight looking to, you know, trying to see if Maeda was going to get that no-hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a rule that will stay. I think it should stay. I don't think there's anything wrong with ending games after 10 or 11 innings instead of having these 17, 18 inning games drag out that take six hours and are boring and it kills your pitching, both teams pitching for the next two weeks. So I loved it. I couldn't believe the Twins won the game. Uh, well, the, Bre- the Brewers blundered that thing so bad in the 12th. I mean, was, what's Jerko doing not tagging up on the Kepler d- diving catch, which, by the way, was a nice play. But that ball off the bat, you said, I think it's going to fall in. But Kepler can make that play. Yeah, so it reminded me. Do you remember the Alexi Casilla play in the 2009 uh, game 163 against Detroit where Nick Punto hit a line drive? I think it was like the 10th or 11th inning. Punto hit a line drive to, to uh, left, and Casilla was sort of like dancing a little bit down the line and was late tagging up and ended up getting thrown out at home. It reminded me of that, but obviously it was worse because Jerko didn't even attempt to – you know, he was so far down the line. I don't know what he was thinking. It was just a completely botched play. But um, it was a great play by Kepler. Alcala pitched phenomenal. I, I couldn't believe they were throwing Fielbar and Alcala out there uh, in the 10th through 12th. That was shocking to me. But they both of them pitched great. So I guess props to Rocco, right? You're exactly right. So the, the thing about putting the runner on second to start the 10th, I didn't like the idea, and I, I believe they put it into the minor leagues last year, correct? They started to yeah. try it out. So I hated the idea at first, but here's the thing I didn't think of. It takes you to a position of so much strategy, it's magnificent. Like, there are, there are teams now who are going to have to approach this thing from both a who to, who to place on second, if you're going to pitch run for the guy that made the last out of um, the previous inning, 
to are you going to throw, as the Brewers did with Jerko, if there's a ball hit to the first baseman and the guy on second takes off, are you going to throw to third, which the Brewers did? Like, there's just levels of strategy here. And, and the other one that I absolutely loved that I thought was so much fun, and people on Twitter were PO'd, but, man, it was fun, was so Buxton, who probably never again during the course of his career will hit into two, five, four, three double plays back-to-back in the same game, right? He makes the last out of the 11th. So he's the runner on second then to start the 12th in an inning where because he hit into a d- double play with a guy already positioned on second uh, who got forced at third, Jake, the pitcher only faced two batters. I know. Like, like you can say, well, that's, but that's BS that they got Buxton. No, I say it's great fun. I want strategy. I want weird things. This is what sports is all about. Like, I'm not crediting baseball with this great idea. I think they sort of lucked into what's going to be an incredibly fun thing, which is just all of the weird unintended consequences of putting a guy on second base. Yes, absolutely. It brings a whole new level of strategy that we've never really uh, thought about before uh, because it's never been a a thing before in baseball. How about the play by, I believe it was Smoke at first, who fielded that grounder and threw it to third uh, to, to pick off Vargas. It, right before Buxton got doubled up uh, and, and Holt picks that, that throw out of the dirt and gets the tag down. That was an, an unbelievable play. Great um, pick by Brock Holt. Great uh, play by Brock Holt. Yeah, and that's the type of guy he is. He's kind of a Marvin Gonzalez. Plug him in anywhere and he plays good D. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was super exciting to watch. Um, I hope they keep it. I really do. I, and I like the seven-inning doubleheaders too. You know? I do too. I loved it, Jake. I loved it. Sometimes it takes something huge blowing everything up to make people realize that, you know, you can make changes and it's okay, right? Yes. The sport or whatever you're changing is going to be fine moving forward. Sometimes it takes something big like that. And, and I think baseball is probably going to realize that, uh, that both of these rule changes are great. It, it speeds up the game. It adds excitement. Uh, I, I think the players probably like it. Uh, certainly, I bet they, I'm sure they, most of them like the seven-inning doubleheaders. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, that game was so much fun. It was so much fun to watch. And a lot of that was because of the, the new rule. So if they don't have the, the new rule in place for that game, Maeda loses the no-no and the Brewers come back to tie it in the ninth and, and we just go to the 10th old school-wise, it's a, I believe it's a tremendous letdown because that game, both teams didn't hit great. So we would have played... I would guess – I mean, we played 12 with the guy in scoring position in every inning of that game. I'm guessing we play 15 or 16, right? And I'm guessing it drags on, it goes forever. And the time of game for that game in 12 with the new rule in place was 428. So I think that if we have the ordinary normal rules back in place, that thing – it drags on. The Maeda storyline is a great storyline. But then we're sort of like, ah, oh, that's too bad. So I think it helped the game tremendously, the storylines. Uh, how concerned are you about Taylor Rogers? I'm a little concerned. Uh, he, he, after a couple of really good appearances at the start of the season, he's really struggled. Um, it seems like that breaking ball is not quite as crisp as it was last year. It seems like maybe he doesn't tr- trust it quite as much. He's getting a lot more hard contact. Um, you know, I saw some people were saying that uh, he got unlucky 
on Tuesday. Maybe he got a little unlucky, certainly with the double play that wasn't turned. Uh, but, you know, that, that double to Avisayo yeah. Garcia was a foot from going out. Right. Uh, he also walked Yelich. Um, so, you know, I, he's not getting swing and miss the, the way he was last year. Uh, you don't have that confidence level right now with him where when he comes in, the game's over or the inning is over, you know, whatever, whatever inning he's coming in. Um, so, yeah, it's not great. I thought the Pittsburgh um, game where it kind of – where the spiral started, he did get a little unlucky with weak contact. Uh, but certainly the last couple of outings, he hasn't looked very good. Uh, you expect a guy of his ability and his caliber to be able to hold a three-run lead uh, in the ninth. So, so that was disappointing. How, how concerned are you? Not super concerned yet. Um, I, I will say this. I, I have no problem with him having the game in Pittsburgh and saying that there was some bad luck there. But if it gets to be two, three, four games where we're like, oh, yeah, that was just b- bad luck. At some point in time, bad luck dovetails into something might not be right. Um, I'm not super concerned, but I will say it opens up a very interesting possible door. And that is, at some point in time, do you re- – do you flip-flop or, or rethink the use of Rodgers and Duffy? Because Duffy's been so good. And, and look, I, I think the way that Baldelli uses Duffy right now is very smart. So I'm not trying to say it's old school. Duffy starts to close out all games. But, you know, as Phil has been saying now for the last three weeks or so, and it's definitely true right now, Tyler Duffy is your best relief pitcher out of that bullpen. So I guess my question would be is if, Riders continues to pitch like this, which isn't awful. It's just not what we're probably accustomed to. Do you consider Duffy for some of the role that Rogers uses right now and vice versa? Or how do you rethink things possibly? Because, you know, again, and I've, I have, I guess I, I can, or we can talk about this till I'm blue in the face or we both are, you know, this all comes down to one thing, which is what, what's your approach going to be by the time that you get to the first round of the playoffs? Right. And is your approach going – and do you need to sort of take that approach as soon as possible in these games so there's a level of preparation that's, that's set for that time? Yeah, I, I don't think you need to, to switch things up yet. I agree. Uh, but I do think if this is still – if Rodgers continues to struggle, uh, you know, heading into October and Duffy is pitching the way he is, then, yeah, obviously he's your fireman in the playoffs and he comes in in whatever is the highest leverage uh, spot and potentially pitches multiple innings. Um, but you just don't know with relievers, you know, I mean, we're, we're almost halfway through the season, but these things flip so quickly, you know, by October, Duffy's arm might be a little bit tired and maybe Rogers has regained his slider and, and everything's great. So you don't know, but yes, if the season ended today, Duffy would be the guy that I would bring in when the game is on the line. Okay. So let's go to, uh, the twins then come back again against the, uh, Brewers on Wednesday night and they lose nine to three and did not look good. Basically got their butts kicked. Nine to three was probably a kind score. Let's start with Rich Hill, uh, and th- this was actually brought up in the post game with Rocco by Dan Hayes of the Athletic. Uh, and Rocco, as you know, doesn't like to use excuses. Like he won't rip his players, but he also won't make excuses. But Hayes brought up a really good point, and I think it's accurate. And and it's why I'm not even close to being panicked about the fact that Hill, after retiring the first six guys uh, through the first two innings on Wednesday night. Um, had to be taken out in the third. And that's this one. When you are Rich Hill, Odo, a guy like that, Jake, and you're coming back from injury, there's no place to go get a start or two. Like you go from 
rehab to, okay, go pitch. Um, you know, ordinarily, Rich Hill would have made a start in, I don't know, Rochester, AA, Cedar Rapids. I don't know. Um, but Rich Hill looked like there was a lot of, uh, of rust last night, which didn't surprise me. He certainly didn't look great. But I need to see a prolonged period now of him being able to get some starts before I decide, oh, my God, that Cardinals game was great, but it was a fluke, or that last night start was the reality of him, and at 40, he's burned out. I, I still can't decide yet. I'm not that concerned about Rich Hill. Uh, I'm concerned about his health. But assuming that he stays healthy, I think he's still an effective pitcher. I thought that third inning was a little bit fluky. You know, he got the first two outs quickly. Um, walked the number nine batter, which obviously isn't great. Uh, but he did get squeezed. I think it was Jerko. It was. Back. Yeah, he, he definitely struck him out to end the inning. Uh, and once again, a home plate umpire just misses an obvious call. That's been a huge issue all year, and and it goes both ways. I'm not s- saying that the Twins have been screwed over by that necessarily, although Jerry Meals, I think, did cost them a game in Milwaukee with his just absolutely horrendous strike zone. And by the way, old Jerry is behind the plate again tonight uh, on Thursday, same two teams, so that'll be interesting. But um, So, so I, I think if Hill gets that strike out there, he maybe gets through another couple of innings. Yeah. Ball looked good. His velocity was fine. Um, I loved his quotes after the game where he was oh, like, I was. Pathetic. How great was that? Yeah. Yeah. Hill doesn't, it's no nonsense with him. You know, he, he, if he struggles, he's going to tell you he struggled. He's not going to make up excuses. I loved it. Um, so I'm not concerned about it. I'm really not. Now, you know, if he has three more starts and can't get out of the third inning, right. then, then we revisit. But I think he'll be fine. And I, I still think he's in my playoff rotation. Okay, so um, also, I think it was in the sixth last night that Mitch Garver, in fact, it was, Mitch Garver strikes out swinging, which this year is not a surprise. This has been a miserable year for him. I mean, it's just been terrible. Strikes out swinging, goes down to one knee. The Twins announce uh, during the course of the game, he's then taken out for a V-line catcher. The Twins announce in the press box that Garver has soreness in his right side. It looks like an oblique. The yeah. Twins, as we know, and rightfully so, this is not a criticism, are very cautious about things like this. My guess is Mitch is out for something like three weeks. Um, if that's the case from your 60-man roster practice squad guys, I guess, at the Saints facility in St. Paul, do you go with the obvious, which would be Avila becomes your primary catcher, which I think he will, but then – um, Astadia gets called back, or do you get creative with who your backup catcher is? So there are three options. You could either call up Astadia, which is what I think they'll do. Uh, you could call up Tomas Talis, who's kind of a journeyman. Uh, he's in, he's in St. Paul, as far as I know. He definitely was there uh, at the beginning of camp, uh, and he's he can hit a little bit. Uh, he's got major league experience. So if it's a short term thing, you maybe call up Talis. Um, or you could go with Ryan Jeffers, who's a big-time prospect, has looked great. They were treating him as a big leaguer throughout spring training one and spring training two slash summer camp. Uh, yep. He's got power. He's kind of a Mitch Garver type of player in that he's kind of an offense-first catcher. Um, I think his defense is improving from what I've read. So that would be more, I think, if you think Garver's going to be out for a while and you feel like Jeffers is ready, then maybe you make that leap. We've seen other teams call up some of their top prospects. Detroit. It's called up uh, a number of top prospects. Uh, Joey Bart uh, was just called up. He's a catching prospect for the Giants. So they, they could go that route. I would love to see Atlanta that. just did the same thing with their outfielder, right? Yep. Center fielder kid got called up. So, yeah, I mean, teams have been doing this a lot. 
Yeah, and I would love to see that. I think that's more interesting because I don't think Estadio – I think he's a nice player because of his versatility and because he can catch. Yeah. But I think he's a good third catcher who, to have on your roster who can also play other positions in a pinch. I don't yes. want him getting three starts a week behind the plate. So I, I think that's probably the direction they'll go, but I would love to see Jeffers. I really would, and he looked great in summer camp. So – We'll see. We'll see. But uh, if you're going to call up a top prospect, now's the time. Gover will be out for a while, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think it's three weeks. Total guess here. Total guess. I think it's three weeks. It, he's had a miserable year. You don't screw around with obliques, and that looked like an oblique. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they're going to be incredibly cautious, hope, hope that the, he can miss time, hit some type of a reset button if that's possible. I ran, so I, I ran the uh, Jeffers idea past Phil today on our show. <clears throat> Excuse me. He didn't like it. He, he thought that it should be Ostadia. But I got to admit, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by at least the possibility, and here's partially why. These guys are in St. Paul, right? Like, unless, unless it was literally, we do not want to start his clock. I guess my question is this. What do you have to lose by taking a look? Like, worst case, you, you play him in a game or two, and you're like, hey, we shouldn't have done that, okay? He goes back to St. Paul, Jake. So um, I guess I come to your side a little bit on this one just be from an intrigue standpoint, and it's not exactly hard to flip-flop things here. Yeah, I mean, what's the argument? Against, so what, what was Phil's argument, just that he doesn't think Jeffers Experience, experience uh, that Jeffers does not have um, partially at the plate, but his point was more – the lack of experience he has behind the plate and the fact that he has not caught big league pitchers. Yeah, I guess that was that's, point. That, that's a valid critique, but at some point you're going to have to bring him up, right? I mean, that's always going to be the case until he actually gets called up, right? Like if he makes, yeah. his, you know, I mean, he caught these guys in spring training and he caught them yeah. in summer camp. I'm so uh, I, I would take a look at, if they think he's ready, I mean, it all depends on what the coaches are saying in St. Paul, but if they say that he's ready, uh, then I think that's the move. But, you know, Asadio's established. He has value. Uh, he would have probably made – he definitely would have made the team if he wasn't um, – if he didn't have COVID at the start of the year. So that's, that's probably what they'll do. But, but I like Jeffers a lot. He's got good size. He's got pop. Um, he's really risen up the prospect ranks uh, over the last year. So uh, we'll see what they do. It'll be an interesting decision. But I agree on Garver. It'll be, he'll be out for a while if it's an oblique. And it's possible that that's why he was so bad this year. Maybe he was hurt and that he aggravated it last night. Possibly, possibly. Uh, so Buxton comes back from the road trip, uh, hitting, I believe, back up to 260. He looked phenomenal, hit for power. I was told to apologize on our show. <laughs> Phil and Declan tried to force me, to which point I said, gentlemen, you forget I'm motivated, Byron. Uh, long story short, <laughs> this homestand, Jake DePue, started, um, well, I guess it started with the double dip last Saturday. We are now six games into a seven-game homestand, and we, we are, uh, as Jake said, recording this on Thursday. So that's going to be the last game against the Brewers before the Twins go on the road to play the Royals this weekend. And Byron Buxton on the homestand is one for 21. Um, I'd just like to say this again, okay? And the Sonoma thing I think is interesting to talk about. But it doesn't really, like, keep me up nights or worry me that much because I just sort of know – I feel like I know who Miguel is. Um, Byron, baby, come on. One for 21. Come on. Come on. I, I need a little bit more, okay? I need a little bit more. I, got, I feel like I have a lot invested here. 
He's playing the he's playing center field smarter. He's letting balls fall in. He's no longer slamming into walls. When he looks good, he looks positively great. I think. I mean, geez, that road trip he was fantastic. I need a little bit more. I'm not asking for the world here. One for twenty one though. I'm asking for a little more than that. Is that fair? It's well. It, Judd wants more. That's fair. Uh, no, we all have a lot invested in Buxton. He's been the number one talker on the Twins for the last five years. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't. You know. I would have to look at the strikeout rate, but just off the top of my head, I don't think he's striking out at a huge rate. Um, I think he's popped a lot. He's gotten a lot of weak contact, like fly balls to the outfield type of weak contact. Gotten a little unlucky with some ground balls. As long as he's putting the ball in play, I'm not concerned, right? Because if Buxton is putting the ball in play over the long yeah. haul, he's yep. going to get on base. The concern is when he starts swinging at those sliders that are low and away and, and nowhere near the strike zone, uh, and he can't make contact. So, as long as his strikeout rate is okay, I think it's fine. I think he's probably just gotten a little bit unlucky and, and that he'll snap out of it. I have confidence that Buxton is still going to be good at the plate this year. Let me but, see. Here. So don't panic, Judd Zolgad. Don't panic. Okay. Uh, he has, just to give you the stats, yeah. he has uh, 20 strikeouts on the season now in 68 at-bats. But that's the season, and he got off to a terrible start striking out. That's so. not bad. That's not bad at all. Okay. So, all right. Thank you very much. You talked me off the ledge. Thank you, Jake DePeel. That's what I'm here for. I appreciate that. Okay, last thing from last night, and, and this is not surprising, but as two guys who watch the majority of Twins games, I just want to run this past you. Because on Sunday and Monday, we saw the best of our guy, E, Eddie Rosario, right? Oh, that, yeah. play, that play that he made on Sunday, uh, he came in and made, the, and made the sliding catch and doubled up the guy against the Royals. And that, I really believe, probably saved that game. All right, so that's play one. Unbelievable. Play two, Monday night. Played the ball perfectly off the wall. Throw into the right base. Second, cut the guy down going for a double. Whit Merrifield, I believe. Phenomenal play. I mean, these are gold glove type plays. Mm-hmm. And, also, and you're scratching your head saying, but where is the real Eddie? Well, we saw it last night. The Garcia two-run single to left on which he airmailed the ball off the backstop. That's the Eddie. That the that is what makes Eddie Rosario, Eddie Rosario, the unpredictability. I was waiting for that Jack Jones like throw, and we got it last night. I just wanted to briefly share a chuckle with you because anytime you assume it's go, it's going to go perfect with E, something happens. Yeah, that's just Rosario. You, you, you live with you live by Rosario, and you die by Rosario. I guess right. I mean he. This is who he's been since he's come up. He makes absolutely spectacular, like you said, gold glove plays or hits huge home runs in big moments. And you're like, this guy is a superstar. Uh, And then other times he just makes these boneheaded plays, usually in the field, sometimes takes really bad at bats as well, um, where you shake your head. And uh, what's that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. And, and you know, he's this is now his sixth year, seventh, sixth year. He came up in 15. Uh, and, you know, he really hasn't refined his approach at the plate. Um, he's still throwing to the wrong base. And so this is just who he is. You just have to live with it. It's too bad because if he could, um, you know, clean up some of those mental errors, he'd be a superstar. Uh, but it's just who he is. He makes enough spectacular plays, wins you enough games uh, with those types of plays that he's a valuable guy to have on your team. But, yeah, his, his value is always going to be limited by the fact that he makes defensive miscues uh, and he doesn't get on base, right? His on-base percentage is, is I, th- I, still, I think it's still around 300 this year, and that's typically what it is 
Um, sometimes he gets it up to 320, but he just doesn't take many walks. So that's how he's going to limit his value somewhat. Um, he talked at the beginning of the season about wanting to walk more. I haven't really seen a lot of that from him yet. Uh, so He's tried at times. I think he forgets what his goals are. Because he remembers sometimes, and then he, I think he just, I think he's one of these guys that sets goals, and for like two weeks, that goal right up here in the cranium, and then it's like, yeah, I sort of forgot my goal. And what's funny about Rosario is I've, I've been in scrums where he's talked hitting, and he's a really bright guy. And yeah. when he talks hitting, it's not, he, you know, he doesn't just give cliches, you know, see ball, hit ball. He really dives into it and analyzes what he's doing and breaks down pitchers. Um, so he's smart and he understands what's going on. I don't know if he just gets too excited in the moment sometimes or what it is. I think he also knows that he can hit bad balls better than almost anyone. He's kind of like Vlad Guerrero was in that sense. And so yeah. that gives him the confidence uh, to, to swing at a lot of balls. Others wouldn't, but it, it would help if he took more walks. It would really increase his value and it would help if he threw to the right pace. Okay. All right, man. I think we're done. All right. Well, I, I think, I, the twins will, as I said before, we're recording this on Thursday and we're going to try to record these just so uh, the listeners know on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So the twins wrap up the three game series and the seven game homestand against Milwaukee tonight and then go to Kansas City on the weekend. And our plan is to be back um, recording another, another score North twins podcast on Tuesday. He's Jake doing a fantastic job as always. I'm Judd and uh, we will talk to you soon. Your story. It lives in River City where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.